Good morning. Uh, in case there's uh, folks here who don't know me, my name is Scott Sorensen, of course. And uh, as Travis just shared, I'm privileged as one of the lay pastors here to serve you at Story Church. <clears throat> just a little bit about me. Uh, I am enthusiastically married to Kelly over there for 16 years. Uh, <clears throat> have three amazing children, Catherine, Grace, and Paul, that I love so much. Uh, <clears throat> and I am I'm grateful to be here this morning. Uh, this is not my first time preaching from a pulpit, but it's been three and a half years. That cheesy song came on earlier. Well, if it's not cheesy to you, I apologize in advance. But it's cheesy to me that, that you know, it feels like the first time, the very first time, you know? And uh, I was thinking about getting back in the pulpit with that. I mean, that is super corny and cheesy in and of itself, is it not? Uh, anyways, yeah, excited. So I suppose we should get started here. Uh, just fair notice, Travis threatened me <clears throat> with pains of death if I went past 30 minutes so uh, I think actually now my sermon might be a little too short. Uh, in order to fill the 30 minutes, I'm maybe going to have to preach in Ben Stein speed, you know, dry eyes. <clears throat> so. All right. Let's go ahead and begin our sermon then with a quote from a dead guy. 6th century B.C. philosopher named Heraclitus who said the following, no one can step into the same river twice. From his book, Prince Caspian, C.S. Lewis wrote, isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes, but when you look back, everything is different. A couple random quotes pointing to the universal problem that human beings have to live with which is the problem of change. Our culture is currently living in a post-truth culture, some have said. And what I mean by that when I say a post-truth culture is that everything has sort of been deconstructed. Everything seems to be in constant change in our culture. There's apparently nothing now that remains to be absolutely true. There's apparently nothing now uh, that seems to have absolute authority over the reality that we live in. Gender now is said to be a social construct. Marriage now is said to be a man-made institution. The only apparently true thing is said to be how you feel in your personal or subjective experience day to day. This sad fact in our culture has meant that in our side of the world particularly, everything has gained a sense or a feeling of instability. There's this feeling of constant change and maybe just chaos up ahead. Now, <clears throat> If we could find any good news about this, if there was any good news, it would be that this problem that we're living in right now is nothing new. It's nothing new. Pontius Pilate was recorded in John chapter 18, verses 38, asking the question, what is truth? 
And we can go even further back to the start of human history in Genesis chapter three. For those of you who've heard me preach before, you were waiting for my Genesis chapter three reference, and so we have arrived. According to the creation narrative, at the beginning of the Bible, God basically gave Adam and Eve everything except for one tree with one fruit on it. He told them not to eat of it because if they did, they would die, but they chose to eat from it anyhow after being tempted by Satan. And by that one act of disobedience, Adam and Eve built a separation between God and man that continues to this day. Or, to say it differently, Adam and Eve deconstructed the way between humanity and God. <clears throat> In response to their rebellion, human beings were changed. Now, does anybody remember what the fateful question was that Satan posed to Adam and Eve on the day that humanity fell. Here was the initial question that he gave that led to the fall of human beings. Genesis chapter three, verse one. Did God really say? And here we are today, down on the other side of history, Asking the question, what is truth? All right, so with that slapped down, today's sermon is going to have two parts to it, which will be, we're slapping things down here at Story, that's how we roll, okay, yeah. <clears throat> two parts to it, which will be, an elder must feed the church scripture and who the scriptures are about. And the title of today's sermon will be, What is Truth? Or, Changes Time to Face, or I'm sorry, I, I'm misquoting it, Turn and Face the Strange. Now, <clears throat> for the cool kids out there, that's a reference from the David Bowie song, right? <laughs> Ch -ch changes, right? We all know that song, right? Oh, man. I did it. I wasn't sure if I was going to sing to you guys tonight. So I did it. All right. It's all downhill from here now. Yeah. So our passage for today's sermon is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. So go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is in the New Testament, uh, sort of towards the back of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 15 through 17, and we like to do this here at Story out of respect for God's word. Uh, we like to stand, so if you're able, please rise with me for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, which reads... From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right. So, on to our first point, which again is the elders must feed the church scripture. Now, according to the text that we just read, there's three reasons the elders must feed the church scripture, or at least I'm deducing sort of three reasons from this passage. And uh, they are that it's a tool meant to shape your life. The elders must feed the church scripture because it's a tool that's meant to shape your life. Secondly, the elders must feed the church scripture because its source is high. The source of scripture is high. And third, the elders must feed the church scripture because its purpose for you is salvation, okay? So as we just read, verses 16 through 17 speak about that tool that scripture is meant to be in your life to shape you or make you into what God intends for you. That's plainly written here in our text when it says that scripture is profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? It's profitable to make you complete. It's profitable to equip you for every good work. Scripture is a tool to shape us in these things. Now, interestingly about this text that we could miss at a glance if we weren't paying attention is that it tells us a lot, of, a lot about who we are or what we're like, okay? Because if we need scripture to shape us, to make us complete in all these things, then on the other hand, scripture shows a pretty low view of human beings. If we need to be taught, reproved, corrected, it must mean that on a deep level, we're ignorant, undisciplined, and wrong. If we need to be trained in righteousness, which is just a, a fat word that means doing the right thing, okay, and made complete, it must mean that we are naturally doing the wrong things and not complete but busted. And if we need to be equipped for every good work, it must mean that we are naturally doing bad works. Welcome to Story Church. We love you. All right. As we began in our sermon, human beings have proven to be unreliable, and confused. Did God really say, what is truth? Human beings have a problem, and the problem is human beings. Go down through history recorded and find out what has plagued people through the ages. And the answer is people. The biggest problem in your life, no doubt, is people. And that includes you. Oh man, I'm doing creepy whispers now. 
I didn't even plan to do that. Wow. <laughs> the problem with people, the reason why people are a problem for people, the reason why human beings are a problem for human beings is, of course, because we have this thing with us always and in everything we do and everywhere we go, this thing called sin. Ezekiel 18.20 gets straight to the point of the, how serious sin is when it says, the soul who sins shall die. Die. The soul who sins shall die. Sin, to define it, this is always helpful to de uh, define our terms here. There's a lot of ways you can define sin. Uh, <clears throat> I sort of came up with a definition I think kind of helps. Sin is disobedience to God in how we relate to God and disobedience to God in how we relate to people made in God's image. So let's spend a little bit of time refreshing ourselves of some common sins that people are guilty of. The reason why human beings bring with them problems, okay? When we worship or value things above God, we sin. When we don't fear God rightly, we sin. When we're hateful towards our neighbors, our parents, or each other, we sin. When we lie or steal, we sin. When we lust in our hearts for people who are not given to us in marriage, we sin. When we're jealous of our neighbor's successes, instead of being happy for them, we sin. When we slander and gossip about people made in God's image and loved by God, we sin. When we are proud of our own achievements as though we deserve the credit and look down on others in our pride, we sin. When we look past the needs of others who are made in God's image because we value our own needs so much, we sin. And that's just scratching the surface of sin. We could really spend hours up here unpacking what sin looks like in our lives. The varieties of, way, of ways in which we mistreat God and people. Now again, according to God, according to the scripture, the consequence of these actions is death. The soul who sins shall surely die. Now who can honestly hear a list like that and feel secure? Who can hear a list like that and think to themselves, oh good, okay, I'm not guilty. All of us are guilty of real sin. It's not imagined. Those things I went through, which we're all guilty of in some regards, are not good, and we know it, and that's a problem. It's not imagined, it's an actual problem, and we feel that problem too. Romans chapter three, verses 10 through 18, it's like a poem about humanity, okay? but it's a tragic poem. Here's what it says. 
None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. In those verses, to summarize, human beings, from our heads, our understanding, down to our toes, our feet, we're sinning. Human beings, according to the scriptures, the highest authority, are in trouble, separated from God, from each other, and heading towards judgment. You look around the world, and even try to look inside your own heart, but don't try to do that too deeply. And ask yourself if you can't help but agree that something about human beings is off. There's something wrong with us. Now, hopefully, this is starting to help crystallize why we need the scriptures Oh, so badly. Left on our own, we are not okay. And yet enter this book, these sacred writings, which according to the text are not just here to shape you, but whose origin is above you and whose intention for you is salvation. That's what we get in verse 16 where it says that these scriptures are breathed out by God. And in verse 15 where it says that these are able to make you wise for salvation. We clearly need to be shaped by these scriptures, but our need goes much deeper and higher beyond that. Now, while we don't have time to unpack how it came together, when Paul refers to the sacred writings or scripture, he's pointing to this book, the Bible, that we're reading from today. At the time he wrote this, he's largely referencing the Old Testament because the New Testament was coming together, but surely these words, it's about the Bible that you guys have in your hands today or in your houses. This Bible, according to this text, was breathed out by God. Now that statement, breathed out by God, it reaches back to Genesis. I got another one in there. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it describes God creating human beings, saying, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The same breath that gave human beings life is the same breath that created these scriptures 
The whole idea is that we have no life and subsequently no truth or ground beneath our feet apart from God's word. In this world on our own, we have no anchor, no authority, constant change, a promise of chaos up ahead with its end, death. Especially in our culture of constant relativism and change. We need, and I'll even say, we want the authority of these scriptures. We need the breath of God. We need it. We want it. Psalm 138 verse 2 says it this way. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. An elder of God's church, therefore, is fully obligated to constantly feed God's people with these scriptures. It's why Paul here in our text today was spending his time to write in this letter to Pastor Timothy that these scriptures were breathed out by God and profitable in every way. An elder of the church is abdicating their basic duties if they fail to prioritize to feed God's people regularly on these scriptures. At Story Church here, right, there's a reason that the order of service, either in kids' ministry or in kids' ministry here, where we pretend to be adults, <laughs> that it revolves around the proclamation of these sacred writings. We are sick, starved, lost in chaos and change, and it's only here in God's word where we find, find, dang it, I lost the moment right there. Where we find, I'm going to restart that. It's only here in God's word where we find in these writings the breath of God. The breath of God. So this sort of brings us to our second and final part of today's sermon, which is who these scriptures, these sacred writings point us to. Which is the purpose of these scriptures that we alluded to earlier. Once again, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, reads this way. The sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus. The reason these scriptures and these scriptures only are able to make you wise for salvation is because these scriptures declare to you Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said of the scriptures, These bear witness about. Me. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is called the Word made flesh. Jesus 
is the scriptures made into human flesh, lived among us. What's the point of these sacred writings? It's to make you wise for salvation, which is only through faith in Jesus Christ. God wants to shape you through these scriptures to teach you, correct you, train you, prepare you for good works, yes, but more to the point, God, the highest authority, intends to save your life through Jesus Christ. When man looks to himself and other men around him, he finds he is lost, confused, dying, but when the scriptures are opened up Man hears Jesus Christ, the Son of God, declaring in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And man finds a welcome authority he so desperately needs. Yes, you need authority over you. He finds an authority he so desperately needs when he opens up the scriptures and he hears Hebrews 13, verse 8, declaring, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, unchanging. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Get it. Yeah. As Travis likes to say, get it. Yeah, get it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Love you, man. Yeah. <clears throat> These are the words of hope and salvation from the problem of human change and chaos. Jesus Christ, according to these scriptures, is God who was deliberately born as a human being. Okay, he limited himself and came as a human being. He was tempted as we are to sin, but never succumbed to it. He did not need to be taught, trained, reproved, or corrected in righteousness. He lived a righteous life. He did all the good works. He was a complete human being for 33 years while here on earth until he was voluntarily nailed to a cross and killed at the hands of sinners. This happened because Jesus Christ, he saw your need. He knows you. He saw your confusion. He knew your position. He sees your sin. He knows the death that's there for you. He knew that you needed a savior and he cared. So he came and he became the light in your world to show you the way. He lived the life that God requires of you so that when Ezekiel says the soul that sins shall die, on the one hand, Jesus never sinned in his life, and on the other hand, he died the death of a sinner on the cross in your place so that you could turn from living under the tyranny of this changing world to faith in the steady and unchanging Jesus Christ. God cares about you putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He cares that you should believe in Jesus Christ. Without God through Jesus Christ, there is only ultimately chaos and change, change, 
change, change, then death, then accountability at the last judgment. Here's the big deal. God is in the business of you not being God. God is in the business of being God. We were not made to live independent on our own. We're made to live as we actually are, okay? When Satan came to Adam and Eve and he said, did God really say, yes, he did. God is God, not us. We were made to be dependent, created beings, made for God, not for ourselves. God's will and design for you is life, not change connected to chaos and death and judgment and hell, but life and stability and a future and eternal life. His will and design for you is to be brought back to a place where you embrace God as truly God through faith, through trust in Jesus Christ. The reason why faith is such a big deal in scripture, okay, is because faith gives God the glory due his name. Faith is us saying to God, you're better than me. I need to lean on you. I can't do it on my own. I am not God. I need you to be God over me. So, how are we gonna believe in Jesus as we're supposed to? How am I going to encourage you guys to believe in Jesus? Well, I'm just gonna repeat myself here. The thing that brings faith in Jesus Christ is hearing about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Okay, so here it is. The sacred writings teach that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he lived for you, he died for you, and he rose from death for you. He promises you forgiveness of all your sins and salvation from hell to eternal life if you turn to Jesus Christ to save you from sin and death. Put another way, the Bible teaches that in our genius, human beings deconstructed the way to God and brought chaos and death, but that Jesus Christ reconstructs the way back to God by his life, death, and resurrection in your place. He opens up the way for you. Our world is strange. Our world has been changed because of sin, and it has become a tragic place. Cancer, heart disease, betrayal, addiction, pain, fear, anxiety, constant change, simmering chaos. But Jesus Christ, your God, he faced the strange head on as he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago. He stepped into the human he stepped into the waters of human chaos and allowed himself to be taken under. And he did this to provide you a shelter from this chaos. And that shelter is himself. call for us this morning 
is to see this Jesus Christ, your shelter, and to submit to his authority. Embrace the certainty of him for you. And then to let these scriptures be profitable to you for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, to make you complete, to equip you for every good work. And let the elders of every church feed God's people these scriptures, which is the only thing that is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have not left us in this world to the chaos that's around us. Your son came and defeated the chaos as he faced it head on. took the chaos upon himself and felt the full effect of the chaos on the cross until he breathed his last. This is hope for us. We don't have to make it on our own. We don't have to find our own way. We don't have to white knuckle it through. Jesus Christ is a steady ground for us to stand on, a shelter for us to be safe in. He is the breath of God for us. The sacred writings made flesh. Lord, I pray you help us to hear about this Jesus Christ. And help us to embrace him as our Lord, as our Savior whether we're in here this morning as people who have believed in him already, I pray, God, that our faith in him would be refreshed and renewed today. And I pray if we're in here this morning, Lord, and, and we haven't believed in you, we don't know you, I pray, God, that uh, through the hearing of your word, God, would you breathe life into people who don't know you this morning. Would you turn their hearts toward you and the stability that you give in Jesus Christ? Thank you, Lord, for this time. Help us to be shaped by your word. Help us to celebrate the authority that you give us above us, which we need so badly. And help us to taste enjoy and live in the salvation which you won for us at the cross. And I pray for all of this in Jesus Christ's holy name.